starting with the point of view that a man should be like a woman, then everything just falls naturally from there. When we started doing our workshops, it was called Celebrating Men, Satisfying Women. And just saying the name, women would have a reaction. What's there to celebrate? They're all assholes. What we do to others, we do to ourselves. Like one way to emasculate a man is to ignore him. Well, women do that with their own needs all the time. We're exhausted and we ignore it and keep going. I love that emasculation has become a conversation because in 1991, when I gave it up, um, it was not. It wasn't something people talked about. And especially it wasn't something to not do. It was something to do. I know that we've gotten our work done when nobody thinks everybody loves Raymond is funny. Entire sitcom about emasculating a man, right? Fuck the patriarchy. What do you think Claudia would say if she was alive right now in our society and she heard a group of women outside of a Congress hall screaming and saying, fuck the patriarchy? That the abuse of power is a human characteristic. It's not a male characteristic. Allison, it's been two years plus since you came on the podcast. And since then, I've been through a personal death and rebirth. I know you have too. We killed the Wellness Force podcast. And now the podcast, which is perfect for you to be here for the second time on, is called Wellness and Wisdom, which Mm -hmm. is really what I feel from your work. Uh, 2013 is when Queen's Code came out. Now the audiobook. Why? this grand space between the two like what (laughs) what lit a fire in you to and as you were recording it you you were very emotional at certain points what lit the fire for you almost 10 years later to come out with the audiobook well um people have been asking for it for a long time and i wouldn't let anybody else read it right i'd done the audio of keys the kingdom because the the meaning, the emphasis, right? Everything was so important. And so I wouldn't let anybody else do it. And I just didn't, I don't know, I just wasn't compelled to do it. And then two years ago, um, it was a couple of days before my birthday, and I I don't know, I have these interesting conversations with, I don't know, you could call it, call it God, spirit, higher consciousness, right? And I was sending a text to a man who wanted to date me, but he was, he was like writing it in now, you know, he was, uh, he was going down, he was getting ready to die, (laughs) literally. And you may remember my, my husband died three and a half years ago. And I, I did, I wanted to live. I didn't want to coast into home. Right. Um, I want to steal home. (laughs) And so, so I was sending him a text about that we're not compatible. We're going two different directions, you know, and, and I'm up to something. And then I stopped and was like, wait a second, what am I up to? What am I supposed to do next? And there's some kind of intention I have when I ask questions like that, because they're always answered and they're always answered very quickly. And I heard (laughs) Claire Isabel Make the most of the queen's code. Mm. 
then I, I was, oh, and then I was, and this happened so often. It was, I was, duh, right? Because I, I mean, I researched for over 15 years to be able to write the Queen's Code. And then, and then I didn't write it, <laughs> which is another part of the story. I didn't write the Queen's Code. Um, but then, and then, you know, we sold it to a pub, you know, big publisher and they were going to make a mess of it. So unheard of, I took the manuscript back. I gave them their money back. And then on my 50th birthday, I asked, right? <laughs> like only this time I wrote it down, find the best possible way for the widest possible distribution of the Queen's Coat. Yeah. And within a few minutes, I was given an entire schematic. Just like. <laughs> Who gave it to you? <laughs> Well, it occurred like it was coming down like the words at the beginning of the original Star Wars. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and this wasn't the first time this had happened. This was the third time this had happened in my life. So I wasn't totally freaked out. Yeah. I just wrote it all down and it took us two years to implement it and a ton of money we didn't have. But we published it a week at a time on the internet, along with me interacting with the people who were reading it. And honestly, Josh, we were so provincial, if you will, at the time. Our website didn't even have a place to put in country, mm. right? It just said mm. city, state, and zip code. And when I would look and see who had bought the Queen's Code after we launched it, I'd have to Google where is, where is, where is, because there were all these cities I'd never heard of. And I mean, remember the, the question, right? Was the find <laughs> the way for the widest yeah. possible distribution. Mm. In three weeks, it was being read in 70 countries. I mean, that's just astronomical to even people talk about getting cosmic downloads, which I kind of make fun of cosmic downloads or like, you know, the code, the code is actually something that you were first on scene about. I feel like right now in our world of growth, of relationship, of connection, yeah. people, a lot of spiritual leaders, they, they use the word code, but they honestly, you, you were the it's first person, funny. you were the first person back when I started my journey of like, who am I? What do I do? Why am I here? that actually use the word code and the queen's code. Yes. You wrote it with the intention of, you know, helping women, but also helping men, you know, and as I was listening to the audiobook myself, I was like light bulbs going off like, Oh yes, that's, that's also for me. Like all the archetypes and the stories. When you say that you didn't write it, who did, who actually wrote this thing? You were like a instrument for whatever was coming through. Was it like an eat, pray, love moment? Um, I don't know about, the story of that. I just know. Um, so the prequel to the Queen's Code is Keys of the Kingdom. And I call it the prequel because the book that I was supposed to write, which when I wrote it and published the way I was told to, for the first time since I was a little girl, I relaxed. Like it, I stopped like feeling like there was this promise I had made that I hadn't kept yet. And I had to keep it no matter what. And I know lots of people have that sense. And they also are upset because they can't remember what they promised. <laughs> There's something important I'm supposed to do. And um, 
yeah, some people come with a mission and some people don't. And when I republished the Queen's Code was when I finally relaxed and I and it just had happened and I realized, oh my gosh, that was my promise. I was supposed to do that. But on the way to trying to write the Queen's Code, I learned so much about men, but I knew I wasn't ready for the book yet. So I wrote Keys of the Kingdom. And I had an outline for Keys of the Kingdom. I knew it was about the stages of development. I knew it was fiction because I already knew Queen's Code was fiction. And, but just like the Queen's Code, which I didn't count on it happening again, right? I didn't, I just didn't count on it. It seemed like a silly thing to count on. But same thing happened. So I can't really lift, lift my right shoulder right now. I slipped on some black ice a few days ago. So up here, so it's like right here. So looking up into my right, this screen opens and and a movie plays. And it, I mean, it's so much like a movie, like I can check in. So what's happening now? And I get like trailers <laughs> for the sequel to The Queen's Code. They show me what's been happening. And... It, I mean, it's, I never believed in channeling. I don't like that word. It seems weird because it doesn't feel like it comes through me. Like, I don't know, like some channel. It's more like I turn into a channel. <laughs> I tune into a channel and that's where the movie's playing. And the only way that I know it's not an illusion, right, is I typed Keys of the Kingdom, which is 45,000 words. I typed it in eight days. The Queen's Code, which is 96,000 words, I typed it up in three weeks. You can't write a 96,000-word book in three weeks. Yeah. Authors anguish over these things for a year or more. Um, I couldn't have done it. And I didn't, like you talk about the characters, I didn't decide who they were. I didn't just decide who they are. Like The names were given to you as well, like the Kimberly and the Claudia and everything that was all given to you. I had to keep feeling into it a lot like mm. with my children, like, what's their name? What's their name? And, and some things resemble my life, like what happened to Kimberly when she found out she was a frog farmer. That happened to me. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a Claudia, though. <laughs> After I found out I was a frog farmer, a question popped into my head. Another wondering, where did the questions that pop into our head pop in from? Mm. The question, what if men are responding to women? And so many questions since then, like, what if there's a good reason for everything we do? What if no one's misbehaving, including you? Um Honor yourself first or all is lost. These things all just pop out. And I used to take credit for them. I used to think it was me and I was so smart. And <laughs> I just can't anymore. Are you often overwhelmed by lengthy to-do lists and tons of tasks on your mind or find yourself more anxious than you'd like? With Cure Raw Daily Full Spectrum CBD Oil, you are just one dose away from a less stressed life. This full spectrum formula has a complete profile of all the nourishing plant compounds, including cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids. These are the things that actually offer functional support in your enteric nervous system, in your gut, 
in your entire nervous system to better deal with stress, get better sleep, and support less inflammation to help your body and mind return to homeostasis. Look, the cannabinoid and CBD market, it's like the wild, wild west. It can be really challenging to find a truly quality product because everybody says their product is the best. Well, from two plus years of research, I only recommend Cured, period, end of story. From my own use these past four years to even using it with my family, it is the absolute best CBD I've ever come across. I won't use anything else from minor anxiety to even full-blown panic attacks to just simply needing to relax or even pairing it with breath work. The full strength CBD tincture is what I use to support my life in ways that I really can't even describe here to you on this podcast with words. It's my nighttime go-to supplement above all else. I think you're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash cured. Use the code wellnessforce. That's one word. Wellnessforce to save 20% off all the products, your entire cart over at joshtrent.com forward slash cured. Make sure you use the code wellnessforce to save 20% off. That's so, that's so, that's so humble. And honestly, it reminds me of a lot of people think about, you know, the, the pathway for men to become a king where they're starting out as the, I believe it's the knight and then they go to the prince and then they go to the king. But you actually mentioned something really cool that I hadn't heard in a while recently. And it was for some kings, they become elders. And I know for queens, that's the same too. And honestly, it's very rare for me to say this. I would say there's probably been only four to five guests that I've had on the show that are true elders and you are one of them. So there's a huge honor to be able to hold this space with you and receive and learn. And, and one of the biggest pieces that I got when I was going through the new audiobook was the language of heroes. And I thought about when Kimberly went to her grandmother she instinctively knew based on her grandmother's behavior and the relationship that that's what she wanted. There was a part of her soul that was like drawn to this, how her, her grandmother and her grandfather had, had love. And so she went to lunch and I, and I thought about this, isn't really the language of the heroes, just something that wisdom keepers and elders have always had and we're learning from them now. Wow, you just asked a lot um, and said a lot. So... Okay, just because I'm such an accuracy person. So near as I can tell, and the stages of development were one of the first things we distinguished when I was studying men. Um, it starts actually when you're born as what I call a page. And you can see it even in the tiniest men. There's this, this need, this need to develop abilities um, test abilities, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, which is often in in a competing with other men, right? And then there's the looking up to the knights in shining armor, you know, those, I want to be that, right? And so, yeah, so pages, then knights, then princes, then kings, and then oh, the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. The tunnel. I the forgot tunnel. about the tunnel. We're, it's episode 364, y'all. And it was September 2020. Allison and I went deep into what the tunnel is. So we'll focus on what you're talking about with the development. We'll link that in the show notes, our previous podcast. Okay, I want to tell you 75,000 people watched or heard us on that episode since oh 2020 of September. So oh my your gosh. vision so that glad. you received to, to reach so many people, it has happened and then some. But, but I digress. Please go back to the stages and everything else. 
So the tunnel, right, where everything is being questioned and challenged. And then the other side of the tunnel, the king, which in chapter seven of the Queen's Code, um, they're talking about kings and how come they have so many more opinions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because opinions are start from the self, right? It's it's your values, your clarity about yourself, plus the information you trust. And kings have this solid sense of who they are, and it's hard won. And then what you talked about, which is why I'm bringing this in, is a small percentage become elders. Most men live out their lives as kings. There's a few, (laughs) and they often end up in the news. Um, There are a few emperors, right? Uh. Um, Yeah, and emperors, emperors want to dominate other kings, right? There's there's no fun in dominating a prince, right? They want to dominate, find the, like the strongest other men they can find and beat them. And it's a very primitive way of doing life and not exactly what the world needs now, but it happens. But a small percentage become what, you know, what I was just told are called elders. And and one way that one of my mentors expressed it was that elders are beyond ambition. And it's it's actually a stunning place to be. And I didn't know women could go through the tunnel till I discovered I had, right? And I, I told you about it. I heard myself talking like a king. Well, I'm not interested in that. No, I'm not going to spend any time on that. I'm not interested in that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how kings talk. Well, it was about two years ago, I found myself talking like an elder. And and I, whoa, how did that happen, right? And, and elders, um, it's something else that happens in Chapter 7 of the Queen's Code. Elders have very few things that they're willing to take accountability for. And they stop giving advice to people because they don't want to be accountable for that person's results. So instead of you should do, they're like, well, you might think about, you might consider. There's a book you might want to check into. (laughs) There's there's a complete, (laughs) I'm not taking responsibility for this. And, um, And it's interesting, it's softer, right? But the the thing about elders is if you don't ask them what they think, they're not going to tell you. They know it's a waste of breath. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the compliment. And um, and I, I I will own that. And yeah. and it came through two years for you very strongly that, that this was an emanation of self, the elder archetype inside of you. Yeah, it's well, I think it also has to do with what we're pursuing. And, or for me, it's, it's never been a pursuit. It's more internal. It's an, it it comes from the inside out. It's an expression. I can't not Mm -hmm. express Mm -hmm. it. And I've, you know, thanked my graduates who, you know, tens of thousands of them that showed up to live workshops for so many years, that if they hadn't done that, I would have had to stand on a street corner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shouting till I was hoarse or hauled away. And um, yes. because it's just, it was such an astonishing thing to find out. I mean, I really, now that you listen to um, 
to the Queen's Code and you can hear the intensity, which is what happened, right? So make the most of the Queen's Code. Oh, I've got to record the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And which was not an easy thing to do living in the boonies. And it's part of how I ended up in Steamboat Springs. Dan found a studio here for me to record it. And you can hear in Melissa, in, in her voice, the venom in her voice, right? How how truly, truly pissed she is at her husband. Mm-hmm. And I I was Melissa. I I started there. I was Melissa <laughs> and then evolved into Kimberly, finding out I was a frog farmer. I was I was caring. I I did I never expected to end up being Claudia, though. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a surprise. And uh and by the way, Josh, a surprise in recording the audiobook because I mean, I I typed the book as fast as I could in every day until I was exhausted. And then I would just stop and get up in the morning and edit the mess of my typing. And then by the time I was done editing what I'd done the day before, I'd be like, okay. And I'd look up and bam, the movie would just pick up. I've heard of this before, this, this, this inspiration that has no name, just a presence. And the reason I reference Eat, Pray, Love is because I think we've all had these moments of flow, but you're talking about something way different to be able to literally (laughs) write your fingers to the bone. Did you ever have a moment during that where you had like an out-of-body experience? Though this is an ultra flow state, right? This is a true, (laughs) an actual true cosmic download. Um, And you wrote it so quickly. Did anything change from 2012 with the original version of Queen's Code to the audiobook, did you edit anything? Was it the exact same thing? Like what was new? What was refreshed? Well, that's what was crazy. And thanks for getting it, by the way. So when I was doing the audiobook, um, just recreating the movie I had watched, um, I kept having to do these retakes. And it took me a while to figure out the pattern. And it was when Claudia was speaking mm. and I was reading her part and I, I'm not a voiceover actor, but I couldn't not change my voice to, I don't know, just to, to be true to them, as true to them as I could be. And when I would read her parts, it they didn't feel right. Like, that, no, that wasn't it. And so I'd just tell my producer again. And then I'd read it again. And it still didn't feel right. Well, after a while, I realized it, it was taking four times to get it right. Mm. Because right was different than I heard it back in 2009, 2010. We, it, right hit. Claudia changed. And I'm like, <laughs> how can you change? <laughs> we captured you on film and in writing. How can you change? She did. She's more compassionate. She's more intense. She's more playful. And even like the joke she made about being jump started, <laughs> like me. <laughs> and, um, she's just, yeah, there's just so much more dimension to her. And as I was reading the book out loud, I I kept thinking, 
oh my gosh, this is so much more intense mm. than the written book. And and so much more intense than than probably anybody read the book to themselves. And then I got confirmation. Um, her name is Candice, and she does a podcast out of um, Johannesburg, South Africa. And she, we were talking about the Queen's Code, and she said, and it so shocked me, I can't, I have to paraphrase, I can't remember it exactly, which happens to my audio memory when I'm shocked. Um, otherwise, it's amazing. And she said, she said, I real, I realized, Allison, that I read the men's parts with less sincerity and emotion than you do. Mm. And I realized it's because of my prejudice against men that I don't think they can be like that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, all the people who've read the Queen's Code since we published it in 2012, I know, I know Amazon says 2013, because that's when we gave it to them. <laughs> okay. So it was 10 years. It's been 10 years. It was. It was yeah. 10 years. And um, I... I realized that probably almost everybody who's read the book to themselves from a print version, right, or the ebook, has read it through their own filters yeah. of how that would sound, right? That as as much as there were descriptors in the writing that they could only put in what they would think, right, and. I don't know if the sequel, I'm even going to publish it in print. <laughs> I don't want yeah. anyone to end up with less. Well, this is why what you and I are doing is so potent because when you hear something versus when you read it, it's a different stimuli. It sticks to your soul in a different way. It's a different experience. There's a there's an energy to your voice at many times. And, yes. and there was actually a couple parts in there where I could feel your vocal cords twisting and shaking in a different way. Like this is an emotional experience for you. And I want to go back because you had said that your one of your readers or one of the podcast hosts in South Africa, she was putting her own bias as she yes. was she was experiencing the Queen's Code. Was yes. it was it emasculation? We touched on this a tiny bit two years ago, but I want to go deeper about that because I think it's an overused phrase. And with your experience and your lectures and all the people you've taught about this, emasculation is a very large topic. Was that her filter of how she had been subconsciously trained by maybe her parents or society to emasculate men? And, and what actually is that for women as a whole? Well, first of all, I love that emasculation has become a conversation <laughs> because in 1991, when I gave it up, um, it was not. It, it was it was something a man may, might say to his wife or his girlfriend, you know, in a very vulnerable moment. Mm. Um, but it it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't something people talked about, and especially it wasn't something to not do. It was something to do. I mean, their whole <laughs> somebody said, "Uh." My nephew actually said, I'll know, I'll know we've gotten our work done. She's, he used to run our company. I know that we've gotten our work done when nobody thinks everybody loves Raymond is funny. And <laughs> entire sitcom about emasculating a man, right? Yeah. And um, so 
the thing that I would just do an adjustment with, Josh, and what you said about being taught by your parents or trained by your culture, mm-hmm. it begins where Claudia begins in the Queen's Code with perception. And and that's what's so awesome about it, because when you your what we perceive is given by where we're perceiving from, right? So one way to say it is, you know, you're standing, you check into a hotel, you're standing on the balcony, and what you can see is what you can see from that balcony. And most women's balconies are on the dumpster side of the hotel. (laughs) And they can't see, they can't see the magnificence of men. They can't see the generosity. They can't see the vulnerability. They can't see the sensitivity. And I know because I couldn't. I I could not. I literally questioned if men had souls. I knew you didn't have feelings, and so I didn't have to worry about hurting them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh God. I now I'm convinced men feel more deeply than women do, but with much more intensity. And uh so yeah, but starting with the the point of view that a man should be like a woman, then everything just falls naturally from there. And that's why we have to change that point of view. If someone keeps thinking a man should be like a woman, but, oh, if I use these words that these stupid men need to hear, you know, then it'll all work out. No. <laughs> you all are too perceptive. You're too sensitive. You know when something's baloney. Um, and you, you see being, men see being. And and so can women and children. And and it's it's the universal language. How is someone being? And that's why Claudia is working so hard in the Queen's Code. She can't just give them the words. They have to transform how they're being. Mm-hmm. In, in, and transforming how they're being comes from transforming how they see men and and just the fact that they now can see men. And I used to articulate my work like that a lot, that all I was doing was <laughs> making it so women could see and hear men because you have been attempting to represent yourself forever. Mm. And mansplaining, oh, he's mansplaining. Oh. Or even the phrase toxic masculinity. And, and like you mentioned, Raymond, there, why are women in the hotel? Why do they face the dumpster? What is that? Why do you say that? <laughs> we don't know there's another side of the hotel. And where does that come from? Like what's the underlying, what's the underlying lesson there? Or what's the underlying cause there? I mean, it's such a deep metaphor. I think it, it's quite primitive, like like pre-language in in the evolution of human beings Uh um, that we couldn't ask somebody else what they needed. So we would be self-referential. Like what would I want? And, and then they must want what I want. They must be like me. And, and Josh, men have a version of this. You're just mm, more generous. Like once I was telling a, a small group of, of young men, <laughs> they're so funny. Um, 
they were in a college class together. And I, I said, you know, when women look at men, they see, <laughs> they see hairy women. They see hairy women who are misbehaving and they know the right thing to do, but they're doing something else entirely and they should be punished for it. And, you know, so when a woman looks at a man, she sees a hairy, misbehaving woman. And he just popped out. He goes, so like when a man looks at a woman, he sees a scattered, emotionally indulgent man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, except women are working so hard not to need men. So we're not going to give you any slack, right? But as Claudia points out in the Queen's Code, men aren't trying to not need women. Mm -hmm. And and there are there are Will Spencer of the Renaissance of Men has told me there is a small group of men who are working very hard to not need women for anything. And but mostly men would consider that just a foolish thing. <laughs> why, yeah. what, why would we work on not needing them? Let's work on getting more of what we need from them. That doesn't sound very fun, actually, to, to have a life like that. I mean, I, and all of these, there's, there's so many threads in what you're saying that connect to, like you had said, maybe primal, prehistoric, like thousands of years ago that were still unfolding. So to go back to the balcony and the dumpster and the emasculation, what is it like, what triggers women to emasculate men? Primarily fear and secondarily frustration. And then the fear that well, what we're frustrated about will never get what we need. But it's um, it's something we try to illuminate in our Understanding Women course online. And I don't know if you ever saw that free, there's a free half hour right on our homepage. And I've left it there for years now. Um, men don't understand it's really, really hard to conceive of, first of all, a brain that's wired differently. So we don't even have the same vision. Men and women don't literally do not perceive and process information the same way. And then add to that, y'all completely take for granted how strong you are. I mean, you you really do take it for granted. It's nothing. And that strength that you have has you rarely be concerned about your physical safety, especially your physical safety from an outside source. Like, you know, my son who rock climbs <laughs> does things to ensure his physical safety and he may have some concerns, right? But one man said, like, well, yeah, I was going to visit my grandma and I was early. So I pulled up in front of a convenience store and rolled down the window and went to sleep. Oh, the women gasped when we heard that. We would never do that. <laughs> do you know how dangerous that is? Um, and it had me start noticing how men can fall asleep anywhere. And women, even in our own homes, there are usually only a couple of places we can fall asleep where we feel safe and secure enough to let go like that, to sleep. You're so right on. Sometimes I walk around the house and Carrie Michelle, my partner, she'll be like, you scared me. I'm like, really? I scared you? <laughs> I just like don't. And even if I'm walking slowly, so you're right on point. I've never actually pieced that together to the brain. Yes. 
um, my boyfriend, when he comes over, there's a, a like a Tibetan um, meditation bell hung outside of my little house. And he rings it on purpose because he's so quiet. That's such a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So I like, hear this yeah. little ding, ding, ding. And it's like, oh, goody dance here. And yeah, it, but even like raising your voice. We have a very primitive reaction to a man raising his voice. Raise your hand, raise your voice, then your hand comes next. That's what we think. Even if even if we've never had a hand raised against us, we still have that reaction to a raised voice. And it what it does to our nervous system and who we can be. And depending on every let's see, okay, how do I go here? Fight, flight, and freeze. So some emasculation is a fight response. Criticism. Criticism is a fight response to being afraid or frustrated or both, right? Withdrawing, which is also can also be emasculating to a man for a woman that he loves and who needs her attention or her admiration, her encouragement, even to be useful to her. He needs her to need him. Mm-hmm. A woman withdrawing is a kind of emasculation. And so when we flee and and even freezing and you can't, you know, is something wrong? No. <laughs> Are you okay? Fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most we can get out, right? Mm-hmm. That now we're withholding quality information, which diminishes your ability to produce results. If we said what we were upset about, right? You would be empowered, then you could do something about it. Um, so there's all kinds of ways that we emasculate. And as I'm sure you picked up in listening to the Queen's Code, men emasculate men all the time. It's part of doing battle. Of mm-hmm. course, you're going to diminish the other guy's ability to produce results. When he's your adversary, of course, you're going to take him out. Of course, you're you're going to diminish his power. Well, duh, right? Mm-hmm. But all of this would be fine, except for what most human beings are saying is we want a higher quality of life. We want more intimacy, more love, more caring, more empowerment. Right to fulfill not just surviving, but to thrive, to accomplish, to contribute. Emasculation has always worked perfectly well <laughs> until we wanted a quality of life that that makes impossible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do women justify emasculation? I mean, if it's something that's running on a subconscious level, then no woman would ever want to do that, right? I mean, unless there's like an evil spirit there working its way like a Watiko or something. But but why do <laughs> I never heard of a Watiko? Well, how do women justify this? The emasculation. Well, it's interesting. So when I I knew, let's see, I started studying men in 1991. By 1992, I knew I needed to write a book. Yep, and I and soon found out it had to be fiction because people can learn better when they're not on the spot. And then, but I knew I didn't know how to write it. And, and I didn't know, you know, I was going to get to type up a movie, but everything in the Queen's Code is validated by years of research, because I, I had to find out 
several things. I had to find out all the ways that women emasculate men. Long list, right? So I had to find that out. And I had to find out all the ways they were triggered. So what caused women to do it? And then lastly, I had to find out all the ways they justified it. Mm. So those three things, I needed a thorough education in before I knew I was able to write the Queen's Code. And I didn't expect it to take almost 20 years (laughs) before I knew I could do it. And so... So justifying it, oh my gosh. So we justify emasculating by you keep misbehaving. We're really sure you know the right thing to do and that you're doing something else um, because you're immature or because you don't feel like it or you don't care about us or we think you know what we know and we think we know the right thing to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of arrogance that our way is the right way. And even when we can't live up to our own right way, it's still the right way. That's, you know, the tyranny of the perfect person. And then, and then women will justify, they'll have different flavors of justifying. Like my mother justified emasculating men because men are stupid. And that's what, that was her opinion of men. Men are stupid. Um, A friend of mine justified emasculating men because they they're more powerful than women and they use their power against us Mm. um other people justify they think men are lazy they think men are self-centered um which is part of what's getting cleared up in chapter six of the queen's code that men appear selfish because you don't find out what you need until the breaking point. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's me, 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 me. <laughs> and we think that's terrible. Um, we don't know what causes it, that up to that moment, you're so focused on producing results, probably for us, that you don't notice you're starving, right? Um, so all these different reasons, all these different flavors, men are weak, stupid, insensitive, lazy, selfish, self-centered, dominating, aggressive, mean. What is the way that women identify? And I'm sure that men have a laundry list too. This isn't a podcast about making women wrong. Okay. I want to be clear about that y'all because there's a lot of women with us here. Like this is for our education, for our empowerment, for our growth, for our love. Is there a way that a woman can identify these stories, these beliefs, these programs, these biases how, how does a woman even get to that place where she can, I realize, oh my God, my mom hates women. My mom hates men. My mom has always hated men. How do they even get into that process? I mean, that seems like the starting place. I mean, you have an excellent point. Um, when we started doing our workshops, it, it was called Celebrating Men, Satisfying Women. And just saying the name women would have a reaction to celebrating men. Ah. What's there to celebrate? They're all assholes, right? And from time to time, a woman would go, you can do that? (laughs) I want to know how to do that. However you do that, I want to know how to do that. And those were our customers. And it, 
in answer to your question of how can you know how you justify it, think of giving up the right to steal men's power. Think of giving up the right to to diminish them in any way, to take them out, to slow them down, right? To take the wind out of their sails, to have them be less than who they can be. And think about giving up the right to do that. Think about not ever doing it again and notice what shows up. And for me, when I was asked to stop castrating men, I've been studying them for six months at that time. And my reaction, she said, she pointed out all the ways she'd seen me emasculate men. And then she said, I want you to stop. And my instant reaction was, well, then how will I protect myself? So that reaction that Kimberly had, right? How will I protect myself? That was mine. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the one of the ways that I mean, I could see when I be <laughs> when I took on becoming an expert at emasculating men was when I was frightened and hurt by a man and I was 16 years old. But I didn't know that I decided men are bigger and stronger and they'll hurt you. And the best offense, the best defense is a good offense. That's what my stepdad used to say. The best defense is a good offense. Mm. And so I went on the offense, hand him over, and then we'll talk. <laughs> and I was very aggressive emasculator. I used everything. Everything. What was one of the worst ones that you used back in the day? <sighs> There's so many worst ones, Josh. What was one of the bad ones? So one of the things that women aren't responsible for, and I had no clue, um, is how much sexual attraction can put a man off balance. So when you have a strong physical response to someone, you you're not grounded anymore. You're on, you're, you're on tilt, right? You're on tilt. And that was something I became really sensitive to, to putting men off balance, because in my view, if you were off balance, you couldn't attack, right? You get, you can't attack <laughs> from, yeah. from, from being on tilt, not unless you're, you know, martial arts master, <laughs> which most men aren't in the face of women's sexuality. Yes. So That's why Superman had kryptonite. Sometimes women can be kryptonite for men. Oh my God, I can't even walk. Exactly. Exactly. I hope you're enjoying this podcast with Allison Armstrong as much as I am. This show is brought to you by my friends and our partners over at HVMN, otherwise known as Health Via Modern Nutrition. Look, a lot of the reason couples fight or people get in their head when it comes to relationships is because their body is not properly satiated or cared for. This is where ketones come in. HVMN makes an energy and cognition drink called Ketone IQ. I've been using it for many, many months and not only for my energy, but look, for my energy without caffeine. That's right, caffeine has been like an up and down roller coaster for me, but this drink gives you on-demand energy for superior physical and cognitive performance. No sugar, no caffeine, just clean. One of the biggest things I love about this product is it tames my hunger hormone called ghrelin. 
Ghrelin is what your body tells your brain that you're hungry. Well, it turns the volume down on that, so it's a natural appetite suppressant. You might have heard of ketones, by the way, but there's a really big difference. There's ketones from the inside, known as endogenous, and ketones from the outside, known as exogenous. But they both work the exact same way, except for one of them, you don't have to starve yourself. This is why this is why I love Ketone IQ. You just drink it, you get all the brain energy and metabolic advantages of fasting without starving yourself. This is where science truly is on our side. Michael Brandt came on the show and he's the founder of the company and I have absolutely loved the product ever since I drank my first bottle. If you've been looking for a coffee alternative, look no further than Ketone IQ. They gave us a special discount. Just head over to joshtrent.com forward slash HVMN. That's joshtrent.com forward slash HVMN. Use the code Josh to save 20% off over at joshtrent.com forward slash HVMN. Make sure you use the code Josh to save 20%. Now let's get back to the podcast. I could feel if I flirted with men, if I used as I was exposed to at home between my mother and my stepfather, a lot of sexual innuendo. I thought that was a normal thing for people to do. Um, it would put men off balance. Um, I also, I also, um, <laughs> I, I also was smart, right? And I'm a wordy and I could tangle men up in their words and make them feel stupid. And, and, but probably the worst, um, and I told Will Spencer about this and he made me tell it in, in his podcast. Um, I used, I did this thing because I really was especially pissed at jocks because I usually fell in love with jocks. <laughs> I was in love with, uh, with swimmers or with soccer players or baseball players or football players. Oh boy. That was, I was a football player. You were a football player. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Captain of the football team. Um, And so to, so I was especially vulnerable to them, to their physicality, to their vitality, to their perception of strength. So the perception of strength is what causes chemistry in women, right? The perception of fertility is what causes chemistry in men. And so athletes would put me off balance, which then would especially want me to put them off balance, right? I had young men in high school who were my friends. I didn't emasculate them, but I wasn't attracted to them and I wasn't afraid of them. Right. So I, I did, those are the people I didn't emasculate, but get attracted. And women do this all the time. I say, don't date your type. It's going to bring out the worst in you because hmm. we're thrown off by the attraction. And so then we may come after you because of it. And so I did this thing where I was at a party and everybody's drinking beer. And um, at the time that I was doing this, I, I'd taken a bet to not drink. <laughs> you know, I was 17 years old. Um, and <laughs> someone bet me I could not drink for a month. So I wasn't drinking. So I had a beer bottle that I filled with water because I got tired of people asking me why I wasn't drinking. And I walked up to these young men who I thought were just like the epitome. Well, that means average, but nobody knows it. They, they just, they embodied what pissed me off. Right. And I just wanted to take them off their 
cocky <laughs> position about who they were and had no idea how truly insecure they were. And <laughs> the yeah. cocky stance is just <laughs> it's like putting up a shield. But I would walk up with my beer and say, and they'd be holding a beer and I'd say, could you hold this? And they'd be sure. And so they take my beer. Now they had two beers and a snap shirt on. This is the late seventies cowboy snap shirts. Mm -hmm. And I would grab the bottom and rip the shirt open. And the first time I did it, I thought he'd be like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Look at my chest. No cave. Like what? Redhead couldn't grab his shirt because he had two beer bottles, just uh, mortified. Oh, I thought that was awesome. So I did it again mm. and again. <laughs> I don't think it was my worst, but it's definitely the most embarrassing. What was the wisdom that your 17-year-old self was calling in that now you know as an elder from that moment? Oh, inter okay. Say that again. So when you were 17, there was yeah. a lesson unfolding that you know now in full clarity as an elder. And I'm curious what you feel like that lesson was that your 17-year-old um, self was setting herself up for. Well, the best story I can see that, Josh, is in what I taught my daughters. Um, from the time they were little, like Claire in the first grade. And, and Claire, Claire walking into her room was like the sun coming out. And... And so boys, that much life force, boys responded to from the very beginning. Yeah. And in the first grade, there they had the, the practice that a lot of public schools do where you put your chairs up at the end of the day so that the, the crew can vacuum, right? And then you come in in the morning, you take your chairs down. And so the boy who sat next to her would take down and put up her chair. And... <laughs> <laughs> and when she told me that about this, I was like, okay, Claire, it's, it's important you be especially kind to him. Why? <laughs> well, because he's providing for you and him providing for you comes from how he is about you. And, and it makes him especially sensitive to you. And so you don't have to put up with something that doesn't work for you. And if there's something you need him to stop doing, ask him kindly. And and be sure to thank him. Just like, oh, okay, mom. <laughs> and, and then later on, I think she was about nine, when she asked me this question and the answer was the effects of attraction. And I, I said, there's a couple different ways that boys can be attracted to girls. One way they're attracted has them want to give to her and take care of her and protect her and contribute to her. Like, remember the boy who took your chair down <laughs> in the first grade? And she's like, yeah, okay. I said, there's another way of being attracted that has a boy want to take from a girl. And she literally shuddered. She's like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it's one of the things that that men and women don't know that when a man encounters his type, right, or even not his type, but a woman who's exuding a lot of 
sexual and sensual energy, it can it can just make you hungry <laughs> or you may already be hungry and it has to occur like the perfect refrigerator and, and it cre it creates a take energy. It's very primitive. And it's why I coach women do not lead with your sexuality and your sensuality. You're going to bring out the worst in men. They, you're, and then you're going to think it's them. You're going to think that's who he is. You're inciting a riot <laughs> and you think they're rioters. And it it's something that to be responsible for, like men, you guys can do the same thing. When you get yourself all snazzied up and you're leading with your A game, you you can cause all kinds of attraction in women and you can literally bring out the worst in women. Because they're so off balance, they they won't be honest. They won't be themselves. They're trying to recover their balance, and their response can very well be to attack you. How did that lesson work out for Claire? Oh my gosh, she's she's one of my best students. Um, she is exceedingly happily married to a man who she met on a dating app, and. And they talked a lot on the phone and then they met and I found out later his reaction when he first met her, <laughs> we can swear, right? I already yeah. said this. Oh yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I believe in truth. So when I found out later, he, when he first met her, he thought, oh shit, I could really care about this girl. And which is the thing that I try to teach women to care, to care is the biggest expenditure of energy for a man. It's I've talked to men about love versus care. They say care is bigger <laughs> and and to be free is to not care is what many, many people, you know, to not care is to be carefree. Yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. to care. And so to meet somebody that you're like, oh, you care about her. And then he had this whole plan, right? We're gonna so we'll date for at least a year, and then we'll um, and then we can move in together, and then we'll move we'll live together for at least a year, and then we could get engaged. Well, they moved in at six months, <laughs> and six months later he proposed to her, and and I teased him about it, and he goes, "Well, my plans always turned out before," and <laughs> I said, "Well." Meeting someone you're not willing to live without can change everything. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And he went, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the stories that you tell. And, and and I love how you said that fiction makes people feel like they're not on the spot. I really like that. I've never thought about that before because, you know, back in the days, the olden days, when there was a shaman and somebody was sick in the village, they would go to the shaman and the shaman would say, well, when did you stop dancing? When did you stop telling stories, hearing stories? When did you stop admiring the mystery of life? And when did you stop spending time with yourself? It would be those four things that, you know, all the Native American shamans and even over in Peru and, and across the world would ask. And I think it's so interesting that you teach through story 
that it allows men and women to not feel on the spot, which would essentially trigger their nervous system that may spark more emasculation or more off kilter behavior. Like, like you'd mentioned, if you were to wave a magic wand, I know you don't have one, or maybe you do. If you were to wave a magic wand over the minds of women, and of course, men, we have our work too. I'm going to repeat that again. What would, what would you instill? What, what chips, what information would you put in there that would be a lifetime of work for women to do on just this subject of emasculation? Dang, Josh, it would be everything that's in the Queen's Code. All right, y'all, you got to go get the Queen's Code. Okay, we're <laughs> going to link in the show notes right below where you're watching. Don't just read it, listen to it. Read the Queen's Code. Actually, yes, listen yeah. to it because the story is the story is amazing. Yeah, it's it's. I, I've been listening to it because I um, I'm doing something called the Queen's Code Journey, which I'll do again because I really wanted to be there for people while while they were listening to it because it's so intense. Mm-hmm. And you were right when you said you could hear it in my voice. There were times I broke down when I was. You had to stop recording. I had to. I mm-hmm. had to. I I was sobbing. There were times when I was sobbing, and um, I mean, it starts with. What if men aren't supposed to be like women? And then that when a man doesn't do what a woman would do, we take it personally. We think he would do what a woman would do if he cared about us enough or loved us enough or respected us enough. Mm. What if that's not true? Mm. And then noticing the impulse to diminish a man's power, a man's ability, um, and why we think we need to do that. And then notice, does emasculation actually work? And that was the thing that helped me and helped Kimberly to give it up, to recognize that causing a man to experience rage or fury, which emasculation can do, never makes you safer. Never makes you safer. So... Once we figure out it doesn't work, then we can start getting curious about what would work. And you mentioned this at the beginning, Josh. I I did I wrote it in order to transform the way women relate to men. And one of the things I'm the most tickled by is how much it's changing the way men relate to themselves. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, if a man can understand what triggers a woman to emasculate you all don't have to agree to be emasculated. If you cannot take it personally, if you can see fear, if you can see fear instead of, you know, this bitch is coming after me. If you can see she's terrified. This is a fear biter. (laughs) So they call it amongst dogs, right? There's aggressive dogs and then there's fear biters. And so many women are fear biters. And if we can... If you can know that, right, and then just hold your ground when a woman's going through what she's going through, mm. right, and keep be keep being you. You being you has us feel the safest. When we look over and you're still you, right, there's a lot we can deal with when we see that. And we, we know we're full of shit. We really do. And when you guys buy it, then we're bummed when you don't buy it. <laughs> That's such an ultimate paradox, but it is. So I feel like you're speaking to my soul right now, Allison. <laughs> we're bummed. We're truly bummed when you buy yes, it. Yes. Um, 
because when you don't buy it, <laughs> the best way to put it is then we know you can save us from our worst enemy. Because mm. we know we're our worst enemy. We know the crap in our head, that perfect person, how we're supposed to be and it'll all turn out. We know it's crap. We just aren't equipped always to deal with it on our own. And so when your guys are like, oh, give me a break, right? Like like Mike, when he's talking to Karen about lingerie, right? And that the only need he'd given up on was her wearing lingerie. And and that her opinion about her body that had her be unwilling to wear lingerie, give me a break, right? Um, we need that from you. Yeah. There's so much here and it, it expands <laughs> to a collective level. You know, I, and I've mentioned this before. So the audience is going to be like, Josh, we've heard this, but I'm like, you got to hear it again. Cause this is the perfect moment. Carl Jung said that no trees branches can touch heaven unless its roots can go to hell. So I think that we're in this kind of snake eating its tail where we're figuring out how to love and care for one another, men and women, human beings. What do you think Claudia would say? What wisdom? And for those of you that haven't read the queen's code, you're getting it now. So just click right below the video. Um, the grandmother, the elder wisdom that Claudia was providing. What do you think Claudia would say if she was alive right now in our society and she heard a group of women outside of a Congress hall screaming and saying, fuck the patriarchy? What do you think wisdom would be from Claudia around that statement? People try to talk to me about the patriarchy. Um, I poke holes in it. I know I would say that the abuse of power is a human characteristic. It's not a male characteristic. And when women start taking responsibility for how we abuse power, um, I'll take it more seriously, the accusations of patriarchy. Um, but I don't believe in it. And, and what has me not believe in it is if you – Look at how recently, I mean, we're talking less than 150 years ago, women were property. Mm -hmm. No voting, men could abuse women. Yes. Property. Um, mm -hmm. Claudia talks about it in, in chapter five, that, that obviously a wife's right to say no to her husband um, about sex was was a huge thing to win. Well, guess who had to grant it to us? Who who gave us the right to vote? Who gave us the right to to um to own property? Who who um straightened out all the credit baloney that I knew about in the 60s where my mother could not have a credit card in her own name, right? Who Who's hired so many female CEOs to run companies that weren't started by women? Men care so much more about the result than whether the person producing the result has an in ear and out ear. They, they care about results. They care about respect. They care about loyalty. And it's one of the ethics that women don't know how much we exhibit disloyalty in the workplace and expect to be promoted when, when we haven't provided the thing that gives someone the most confidence in being able to do that. And what is that? What is that thing? It's you got my back. 
you're you're loyal. I'll I'll take you with me because I know you've got my back. You're on my team. We keep being adversarial. We think I'll get the promotion if I make my boss look stupid. That's how I get his job. I make him look stupid. No. <laughs> yeah. You help him look brilliant. He gets a promotion and he says you should take my job. Why? Because he wants you in that job because he still needs you to make him look brilliant and yes, help him be brilliant. And it's it's the the shift really it's so much more than gender, Josh, because human beings are inherently competitive. It's part of our instincts is to compete against each other. And then we'll have these temporary alliances, right? Against the perception of a common threat, whether it's a tiger or a nation, right? And so we'll, we'll have these temporary alliances when we have a common enemy. But once the common enemy is gone, we go back to treating each other like they're the enemy. Mm. And we don't. I mean, this was normal given that there wasn't enough, right? There wasn't enough to go around, or at least it seemed like that. But these instincts persist, even though the conditions of our existence are so different. And a lot of my work this these days, Josh, isn't about gender. It isn't about male and female. It's about being human and owning our instincts, owning our fight, flight, and freeze responses, owning our relationship to power, and we're as likely to abuse it as anything else. Um, aye, aye, aye. Owning our sense of entitlement and that there are people we think we have a right to take what we need and want from. Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. do, whether it's from our children or the opposite sex or our parents or employees or employer is part of being human. At some point here before we say goodbye and like I've been getting waves from my feet to my head. So I know it's a good (laughs) podcast. At some point before we say goodbye, I am going to bring it back around to initially what I had mentioned in the beginning, which was the language of heroes. So we're going to bookmark that. Let's stay on the thread because I know people are with us right here. When you talked about emasculation, there's a counterpoint in men, which is objectification. And so I I do want to get your insight on that because those things can be brother sister interplay a little bit. So if if men being emasculated is what tears down the fabric of a man's soul or of a man's being, objectification, like you had even mentioned before when you spoke to the to the little one, hey, sometimes boys want to take, sometimes they want to give. Can you talk a little bit about objectification because it's the opposite mirror for for men? so funny, Josh. Sometimes I can speak generally and there's something about you that I <laughs> have to be really specific. So one way to look at it is if you if you think of emasculation as not just something that happens to men, right? If you think of emasculating as diminishing someone's ability to produce results. Mm. That's how one man defined it and I got it in my bones. Dim- yeah. Diminish my ability to produce results. So when you look at it this way, women, we diminish our own ability to produce results. And we diminish other women's ability to produce results. And so it's not, it's something diminishing each other's and our own abilities to produce results is normal. And what we do to others, we do to ourselves. Like one way to emasculate a man is to ignore him. 
to treat him like he's not worth noticing. He's not important enough to be worth noticing. Well, women do that with their own needs all the time. We're exhausted and we ignore it and keep going. Right. And then the next day we're, <laughs> we're still exhausted, right? We diminish our own ability to produce results. And these days, what we do is actually invite women and men to go further, to give up the right to emasculate the opposite sex, to give up the right to emasculate the same sex, and to give up the right to emasculate themselves, which was the hardest thing for me to do. I obviously deserve to be emasculated. <laughs> it was the hardest thing for me to give up. So having said that, objectification is a way that we emasculate. It's a form of emasculation. And everybody does it. Men and women and children do it. In the Queen's Code, Bert talks about ways that he has done it, right, for different reasons. But the best way to think about it, and I, I wish I had a coffee cup with me because I don't. I just have this glass. So um, see how this glass doesn't have a handle on it? Mm -hmm. So it could slip through my fingers. Mm -hmm. Right. It could spill. It could, I could, all kinds of problems could happen. If it had a handle on it, I would feel much more secure. I could deal with it. That's what objectification does. It, if we can name it, we think we can control it. It's an illusion, right? But if we can put a name to it, then we feel like we can forget it. We can deal with it. We can manage it when we need to. Manage comes from manipulate, from hand. It's all about handling. And whether it's the objectification like Jack talks about in um, chapter six about being treated like a checkbook. Now, you know, this obviously happened in a time when people had checkbooks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have not written a check in a long time. A long time. Checks, what are those? Yes, tempting to update it. Do you know, finally, by the end of the Queen's Code, I think they texted each other or something. Um, and, but yeah, to, but we do that all the time. We, men and women, we just slot somebody. And we actually, we practice this in one of our courses called Lux. It has to do with how we listen. So when people are speaking, right, in the Queen's Code, teaches listening to learn instead of listening to agree or disagree, right? And so much you can get out of that. But another way that human beings listen, I call listen to label. So someone will be talking and the question at the top of someone's mind will be, what is he? What mm -hmm. is he? What mm -hmm. is he? Right? And then our own minds produce answers. Well, he sounds like an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heuristic. It's a shortcut in the brain. I've, I've had a couple of neuroscientists on the show. It's, it's literally to save calories for our brain. So I'm yes. like, oh, Allison, she's an author. She's this, but you're so much more than that. Or we do it to each other, this yes. shortcutting. We even do it to ourselves. We objectify ourselves. I have a voice in my head that says, Allison, you're such an idiot. <laughs> wow. Such an idiot. So it, what was the word you just used? Heuristic. A heuristic. A heuristic. It's a shortcut in the brain to save calories. How do you spell it? Uh, I, I'm going to probably mess this up. Let's see. H-U-E-S. 
heuristic. Somebody's typing it in the comments right now. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up because I'm fascinated by neuroscience Mm -hmm. and it's, and we use it a lot and that's, and you'll even hear Claudia talk about in the Queens code that we have to celebrate our awareness when we become aware of what we do that doesn't work. If we condemn ourselves, since our brains are working for us, they'll be like, oh, she doesn't want to see that. (laughs) <laughs> when we celebrate the awareness, oh my gosh, I saw it. I emasculated him. And I and I realized that I see it. Yeah, it was three days ago, but still I see it. <laughs> Yay for me. I pulled it up, Allison. H-E-U-R-I-S-T-I-C-S, uh, a general cognitive framework to quickly search for a solution. Yes. That's the, that's the term from Simply Psychology. Yep, yep. We definitely have this. And mm-hmm. labeling is a quick way to regain a false sense of certainty and power when we don't have one. We think if we can label it, we can manage it. I definitely do that. <laughs> I definitely do that a lot. And I think, um, you know, you, I'm curious your thoughts about this. I've explored this a lot on the podcast. Masculine energy for me is about completion. It's about, you know, an end point or a goal or getting across a line. Feminine energy for me, one of the reasons why in our logo, we now have an upside down triangle, which is water. So that's in our company logo and the Pentagon and the circle, which is wholeness. The Pentagon is my teachings. And, And I just feel like, wow, the feminine energy has always been so mysterious. It's such a learning curve for me is the answer for women to do their work and also for men to just understand and accept and love what feminine energy is inside of them and outside of them as well. Because I think that gets missed a lot. I think we should save that entire topic for another time, but not wait two years. I think so. Because it's huge. It's huge. Do it again. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we should do it again. Okay, Allison, you've been so awesome today. Thank you for being on the podcast. Is there something, we covered so much ground, is there something that you think we missed when we look at the aspects and really the essence of the Queen's Code, especially the new audio reading? Well, I would say that um, the word code, because you started there, um, it's twofold. So it's, you could think of it as this secret code of men's language, men's motivation, men's um, power or loss of power. Um, But it's also a code of honor. And honor is not normally associated with women, Um, mostly because the way men define honor, it's to do the right thing, no matter how you feel. And, And that's our biggest challenge. And it's why I keep inviting women to literally invent their own code of honor. And we've had women create their own vow. Well, they say, I give up the right to emasculate men forever, especially when they've hurt my feelings, especially when I'm mad at them, especially when they've raised their voices. Like they'll, especially my little brother, right? They'll do, especially my ex-husband, they'll do especiallys because they know their, where their feelings will, if they let them, will take over and they won't live up to their own word. And I, I think it's something all of us need to hold ourselves to if we're ever going to get where we want to go. 
I feel like we're there. We're just learning from elders how we're already there. We're, we're in a remembrance <laughs> process. So final question, because I, I promised I would ask it. Uh, the language of heroes. The I language of heroes. The language of heroes. Isn't it just the, the loving ancestors like Claudia that, that hold this language and that share it with others? Isn't it at the core of it? Or is it something it's such else? an interesting way of looking at stuff. I have to process how you're asking the question. The language itself doesn't translate into all common languages, right? So, so that's what's really hard. Other languages for the Queen's Code, the hero language has to be interpreted. Um, for example, the word save in Hebrew is a horrible thing. <laughs> so we found that out the hard way. But the essence of of these words, it it resonates with who men are, and you don't have to be taught to be it. It's a it's so I think in the way that you're languaging the answer is yes, it's a calling forth of who a man really is. Mm -hmm. And and we've seen men as young as one years old react to those words even when they've never heard them before can you give us one of the words one reframe before we say goodbye <laughs> just give us one there's many in the book but give us one give us one um oh gosh there's so many well i did give you one save save mm -hmm. is in the language of heroes um and help is also in the language of heroes and and saving is what's needed when people don't ask for help soon enough. Mm -hmm. And saving comes with a lecture, <laughs> which women get really pissed off about that lecture. And it'd be good for us to own if we were willing to be helped and didn't think it was shameful to need help, the whole thing could turn out much better. Mm. You bring such a light to the world. And I don't say that lightly either. Like I remember when we interviewed two years ago and with all you had been through, you were still shining. And it's to me, it feels like as soon as this camera turns off, as soon as this microphone turns off, you'd be the same way. What is it about your life that you love living well? In other words, how do you see wellness now, two years after I asked you that question first mm -hmm. time? I would say a couple of things. Um, one is I'm committed to being happy. So most people want to be happy and they're chasing happiness. I'm I'm committed to it. <laughs> I, I reverse engineered how for me to be happy. And you mentioned it when you were talking about the questions a shaman would ask when someone was unwell. And the last one being having spent time with yourself. And after Greg died, I I didn't think I ever wanted to be in a relationship again. I, I know how much work they take. <laughs> and, and then when I realized that I did, I, I also realized that I didn't want to live with someone full time. In the absence of Greg, who I'd lived with for almost 30 years, I discovered how much alone time I need, how much time I need to spend with myself. It's a lot. And so you know, I moved to Steamboat Springs to be able to see Dan every day, but I don't live with him on purpose. 
And even though we're planning on being together in, until he dies when he's 93. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. um, we talk about if we ever leave here, where would we go? And we know wherever we went, we still would arrange to live in separate residences. Mm-hmm. Because, because especially for a woman, it's impossible to not pay attention to a man who's on your property. And when we're paying attention to you, we can't hear ourselves very clearly. And so, yeah, I'll be the same when I hang up and I'll be here in my little house surrounded by snow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I'll see, I'll see Dan later this afternoon to put the last set of chains on my tractor. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, thank you. Thanks thank for you. you. My heart is so full from this conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having this little pod, this little encapsulated piece of time and wisdom with us. Thank you, Allison. We'll talk to you again on another podcast down the road. Okay, you guys, make sure you get Queen's Code. And we're talking about Allison at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. We'll talk to you soon. There is such a hype in this world about pre-workout, post-workout supplements that let's be honest, they're just full of caffeine. It's just a bunch of stimulants for you. But there is another path. It's the combination of red beet, cordyceps, and rhodiola. This is the Organifi original, the OG red juice made for energy support that I use as a pre-workout. Now it's low in sugar. It's got a sweet berry taste. It's high in antioxidants. It is a truly natural energy boost. It tastes like berry punch and it's got six different fruits Red beet, rhodiola, cordyceps, reishi mushroom, freeze-dried berries, Siberian ginseng, lemon, and prebiotic powder. This is the adaptogen above all adaptogens. It's part of your ritual kit. You can get at joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Now, if you use the code wellnessforce, you get 20% off your entire shopping cart. You can get 20% off with the code wellnessforce at the Organifi website, or the quick link is joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a canister of this red juice. If you're sick of these caffeine boosted products that really just kind of crack you out, give Organifi a shot. I think you're going to be really happy with it. It's what I take before I go into the garage and get sweaty myself. joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi. Use the code wellnessforce. You get 20% off. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you being here so much. You know, time is our most valuable resource. It's something we can never get back. And the fact that you spend your time, your breath, your presence, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul here with me on the podcast, I am so grateful. I want to give you a free gift. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. This is where I've taken these 500 episodes and I've squeezed down to get just the juice, the most important nuggets The things that'll move the needle for you in your life right now, maybe you're needing a wellness reset or a reboot. These are six science-backed practices that I promise you from my research and my application will help you go from A to B, the person you are now to the person that you desire to be, the one that is fulfilling their potential. joshtrent.com forward slash M21. One of the practices in the M21 is breath work. This is a guide that in 21 minutes a day, you can take these six foundational wellness practices backed by science. And in 21 minutes a day, you can completely revolutionize the way that you feel in your body, the way that your mind speaks to you, and the way that your heart operates as a guidepost in the world. Now, back to breath work. 
If you've been wanting to use your breath to clear your stress, if you've been curious about how to use breath work in a practical way, I want to invite you to join us in the three-week journey over at breathwork.io. This is the Breathe Breath and Wellness program where I can personally guide you one-on-one to get the fundamentals about the posture, the process, and the application of using breath that you're already doing just in the most beautiful way to clear your stress. Breathwork.io. Use the code JOSH25. JOSH25 gets you 25% off the entire three-week journey. Come join me. Breathwork.io. I'll see you there.